Hi guys, this is Rui. Welcome to my social enterprise. In the first two episodes, I have introduced environmental related content to you, but we'll continue to talk about environment from a different perspective today, which is the wildlife. In this episode, I have invited the managing director and also the co-founder of Fuse Ecotier, Daniel Coulter. Fuse Ecotier is a conservation social enterprise with a vision of connecting people with wildlife. Currently, there are four community-based wildlife conservation projects under the management of Fuse Ecotier. They are Perhentian Eco Education Project, Perhentian Marine Research Station, and Perhentian Turtle Project on Perhentian Island in Malaysia, and also the Wildlife Rescue Center that based in Indonesia. Fuse Ecotier provides wildlife volunteering programs to their customers, educating the children and also the adults about wildlife through experiential learning. Daniel, who comes from the Britain, shares how his passion about wildlife and ecotourism makes him to stay in Malaysia. Besides, we're going to discuss the challenges of wildlife conservation in Malaysia with you. Before we listen to Daniel, remember to follow my.socialenterprise on Instagram for any podcast updates and also to share your opinion about the topic in each episode or share your learnings with me. I'd like to listen to you as well. We have a guest who is pretty special to me because he provided me a lot of support in my master's education. Also, I'm a big fan of his social enterprise. I volunteered with his conservation projects on Berhentian Island for three weeks back in 2019 and also returned to the projects again last year for my dissertation research. Welcome, Daniel Kultur from Fuse Ecotier. Hi, Daniel. I'd like to thank you again because I think I did thank you about my dissertation and all the support you gave me. So thanks so much about it. Um, so do you want to say hi to the audience and also tell them a bit more about you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Thank you, uh, Rui. That was really nice. Um, yeah, I, I love helping people. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I started Music um, Couture in the first place, actually, was to help more people actually get into conservation and get into social enterprises. So I'm really, really happy that particularly you being Malaysian as well. Uh, getting involved in our conservation efforts, um, but also in the social enterprise scene as well, and really helping to do this kind of uh, podcast as well to spread out to the world. Because I think mean, social enterprises should become the norm rather than um, all these big corporate companies. I'd love to see the day when there's a corporate size social enterprise. That would be the dream, right? It'd be so good. Yeah. Can you imagine, imagine the impact they'll have? Like, That'd be so good. That'd be the dream. Yeah, thank you so much for um, inviting me here as well. Yeah, thank you to you as well. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. Um, just then, like, like, um, I still remember you kind of like told me that actually you have a background as a biologist, am I right? And then how do you end up to be in Malaysia? Because uh, if for the audience... Daniel actually from the UK, uh, yeah. and then he moved to Malaysia after his internship, am I right, um, in Malaysia, and then started all uh, Fuse Ecotier and all his work in Malaysia. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll, I'll start from the beginning, Chile. Yeah. <laughs> so um, cool. I'm actually British, um, so I was born in Plymouth, uh, which is by the sea uh, on the south coast in Devon. Very, very beautiful part of, of the UK if you go there. Not quite as nice as Northern Scotland or Northern Wales, but uh, very nice anyway. Um, yeah, so I've always had a real big passion for the environment um, because of David Attenborough. Um, and in the UK in particular, um, Borneo, or the island of Borneo, is seen as this really magical, mystical place. So as a kid, even when I was like seven, eight years old, I'd be watching documentaries about proboscis monkeys or about the orangutan, you know. We watched these and be wow, I really need to go there. Um, the headhunters, Sarawak, you know, <laughs> these actually an amazing place, right? So um, yeah. I actually did my 
my university course uh, in environmental science. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually look at all aspects of the environment, not just the biological side, but it's the human side as well. There's looking at like law, economics, um, human geography, all sorts of things. So I did that. And then from the course, I was like, well, okay, I really need to get into ecotourism. I can see how ecotourism can actually help conservation. So what I did was I wrote a way to lots and lots of ecologies around the world um, with the idea that I traveled for like two or three years um, going to ecologies and building up my knowledge and finding my place in the world. So I, I wrote away and then um, Albert Teo from the Borneo Eco Tours wrote back. He was like, yeah, hi, Dan. Glad to come along. Um, Albert Teo actually is, is, particularly then, he was one of the global faces for ecotourism in the world. And like the first day that uh, I went to his uh, office for the first day, I just got back from like 20 hour flight, you know, um, mm. jet lagged and all that. So I went into his office and he was like, hi, Dan, how you doing? Are you doing well? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And he sat me down and gave me my task for like three months. So my task for the first three months was to actually manage uh, to be the main secretary for the Borneo Eco Tourism Conference uh, oh, back in cool. 2005, um, 2006, sorry. Um, oh. Yeah, so I was like, just wham, here you go. Here's like an international conference with Brunei, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, speakers from Canada, Australia. Um, so I was like, well, oh my God, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. We had the conference went really well, and I had such a great experience that I actually still keep in contact with a lot of the speakers that I that I met and helped. Uh, the speakers, Albert, um, a lot of the the team, the committee that we work with, and all my friends in Borneo as well are still good friends. So yeah, I, I did that for three months, and then I did another six to nine months. No, nine months. Um, in Sukal in the Kinabaskan River, where we see wild orangutans, wild elephants, uh, proboscis monkeys every day, <laughs> crocodiles in the river. It was such a magical experience. I was like, wow, man, this is great. I need to um, I need to help get people to do this more. So instead of me actually carrying on around the world to different places, I actually set my roots in Sabah for two years. Um, I started up ecotier.com, uh, which was like a platform for connecting people with ecotourism um, and volunteering projects. A bit like Couchsurfing, um, where you pay a membership fee, like £10 annual membership fee, and you get all these contacts for free. Um, so back then, that was really popular because Facebook and uh, all the social networks weren't very big. If you can remember, like MySpace, I had uh, Bebo. It was a little, just come out then, I think. Um, and it was really, really bad. So. Uh, tier basically solved the problem for a lot of people. Um, so it was actually boomed at the time. So I actually managed tier by myself while I, to pay the way, while I was doing my master's. So I did my master's uh, with Sabah Parks for one year in um, Semporna. So I lived, I lived in Bohedalang Islands. I lived in Mabor. I lived in Sipadan. Um, I went back to my roots, the marine side. Um, yeah, I did a year there. I was helping with the turtle project on Sipadan Island. I was uh, doing a coconut crab survey, the first <laughs> coconut crab survey. My actual research was focused on the Bajau Lao. Um, so the Bajau Lao are like kind of typically known as the sea gypsies, but they're an amazing group of people who move between the Philippines, Indonesia, and Malaysia oh, on a boat. Okay. And they live on the boat all the time. And um, okay. we had this one time where we gave them uh, this fish. But it was inside a tin with I am written on the outside. Oh. And uh, it, it immediately threw it away out of their boat because it was, it was seen as dirty. Even though it was fish, right? Their actual um, beliefs is that they should never eat anything from the land. The land is dirty and the sea is clean. So they saw the outside, the I am brand with the rooster on it. And they thought, oh God, it's chicken. So they threw it away, even though it was fish inside. <laughs> No, no. But yeah, so, so um, I worked with them. Um, basically, they they blast the reefs. They blast it, the coral reef, and then all the fish will die, right? But then they go and collect all the fish, and then they'll move on to the next area and blast it and carry on. So what was happening in in Semporna was because of the tourism, um, they were starting to settle. So instead of them being nomadic, they were starting to settle a lot more. So um, Sabah Parks 
helped to introduce, and I think WF as well, uh, introduced sea, seagrass farming, seaweed farming, sorry, seagrass, seaweed, seaweed farming. So introduced that to them. Um, but the problem was, was that they actually, they would do the seaweed farming. They would harvest it every two or three months. And then they would go back to blasting the reefs in between. So instead of them being kind of like, level with their money, like save the money and spend it wisely in that two months. They would go out, they'll get their harvest, get their money, and they'll spend it on a huge new motor or they'll blow the whole money in one go. So then oh. they'll go back to the subsistence kind of uh, living in terms of catching the fish, blasting the reefs. So it didn't really work. So the concept of my research was to look at how we can actually help them generate money the whole time from food farming. So it was quite an obvious one where we can get tourists to join and have like kind of an experiential uh, learning experience about seaweed farming. Um, because the tourists see all these bottles floating on the surface and they think, oh my God, it's really dirty. But actually, it's yeah. not this. Actually, the string is being floated on the surface by plastic bottles that the, the vagal out found in the, in the sea floating around. Um, yeah. So it looks really dirty, but it's not. So... Um, we got this tourist over, join in, uh-huh. um, the surveys went really well, the practical side went really well, I was really happy. But then when I finished my master's um, and my internship, it didn't carry on, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I don't, I'm not too sure about now, but um, yeah, definitely straight after it didn't continue, unfortunately, even though people loved it. Um, so yeah, I, I basically was there, and then after my internship in Summer Parks, I got my first job in the Prehentian Islands. Um, where I was working for another company called Way Out Experiences and we lived in uh, Bubbles in Brahintian Island, Bubbles Dive Resort and we helped them with their with their turtle and dive project. So I was like, I think the, their manager for the second year they're running it. Um, so that, that was really good, really good. But then unfortunately what happened was was that the um, the recession hit in 2008 and the company I was working for in the UK it actually went bust. Um, I didn't go bust, but they boxed, They split off into different companies. So like the, the, the HQ in the UK became the great projects. Um, the projects in Malaysia um, became Eight Malaysia. Um, oh, okay. And then separate entities. Yeah, the separate entities because we've got Eight Malaysia now who are quite uh, flourishing, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. Then you've also got the Great Orangutan Project. They're separate now. They're based in Kuching. Um They're doing very well as well. And then there was us. So um, if you see could say, we did the uh, Behentian Project. So I was like the Behentian manager. So I got told him we can no longer take you on. So that's how it kind of started. And then I would be on the beach there every night, you know, watching the turtles. And you kind of, when you're with them for one year, you know, you're like, okay, you connect with them. You, you, yeah. yeah, you watch them. I mean, there's one night there was this turtle going towards, she finished nesting and then she was supposed to go back to the sea. But what happened was there was a light in the restaurant and we didn't realize this, but there was a big, huge pit in the sand, like where we used to throw all the rubbish. So in between, that pit was in between her and the light. So she was just crawling along the sand, going along, like you do. Slowly uh, over it, but she was almost falling into this hole, and it was about I don't know about three or four meters deep. So if she got into there, we'd never get her out because these turtles weigh like 100 to 200 kilos. <laughs> Luckily, amazingly, I thought, okay, right, what we do? We turned the light off in, in the kitchen, obviously, and then I got a, a torch light, and I actually put the light in front of her face, and I guided her with the torch back to the sea, away from the the pit and back to the sea. And luckily, it worked, and it was like, wow, thank God, and like. It's one of those moments where you think, wow, okay, I really need to stay here and protect uh, these tells and, and to be here, you know? And so, yeah, that's why Prehentian, I was like, wow, I really need to stay there. And that was in 2008. And now we're in 2021. So that is like 12 years, uh, 13 years ago. Um, and that's how basically I got stayed in Prehentian. Oh, we just now talk about like the how you all st- you started the physical tier and then so like your background. Like can you kind of like describe, you know, uh the physical tier social enterprise model, uh how it works and then how it helps the conservation projects? Yeah, sure. So um 
essentially Fuse Ecotier is like a merger of two companies. Um, so I started up Ecotier originally. Um, and my partner, so back in like 2012, 2013, we were known as Ecotier. Um, and then my partner Pavin at the same similar time started up this like team building outdoor expedition company called Fuse. So we actually decided to go into a merger about 2015, become a Fuse Ecotier. So, so the idea behind it is that um, we have tourists who come along um, who, and volunteer and join us. So part of their fee is um, goes towards obviously their food and accommodation, uh, the activities, but then also um, part of that fee goes towards like the the project cost, so like the 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 cost for the manager, the accommodation for the team, all the um, transportation, the food as well as um, some money for HQ as well. So we had these volunteers come over and join, um, unfortunately, mainly from the UK um, and Europe. We like a lot more Malaysians uh, to join, um, but slowly they're coming back, particularly during COVID. We had a lot in 2020, yeah, mainly yeah, Malaysians, which yeah. was great. Um, but then also, apart from just volunteerists, um, back around about 2015, 2016, we were seeing a lot more school groups come. Um, so we have these school groups coming and join where they'll stay for four days or five days, where we get them involved in some of the conservation work and learning, but then also get them involved in some adventure activities. So it's kind of fun as well as, as learning. So these kind of programs really work really well. Um, and then we started to work with corporates as well. So corporates came and joined and did a similar thing. They'll come and do corporate team building, do like an amazing race. Um, and then they'll also do some give back to the community or to the project. So it worked really, really well in, in, in concept. It works well. Um, but then COVID hit. And then um, one of the biggest things, obviously, people can't travel. Uh, a lot of our, our groups were from abroad. Uh, so they can no longer come. So what we did was uh, we focused on Malaysians and a lot more, so domestic tourists. Um, but also then we started up our own um, recycling entity as well. So when there's no tourists, we can still generate some money um, to keep things afloat through recycling. So what we got, we actually got a precious plastic machine where we can take the, the rubbish uh, the plastics that we collect from the sea and from the beaches and from the rivers, uh, we can actually convert this into, we shred it up, then we, we melt it and then we inject it into a mold. So whatever the mold is, we can make the item. So if the mold is the shape of a turtle, we can make a turtle. Um, so we make turtle necklaces, we make really cool coasters. Um, we've got um, a mold now for a dive slate. So I'm experimenting with plastic bags and then using the machine to uh, inject them into like a, a dive slate type uh, mold. So that'd be awesome, right? So you've got the plastic bags, see, we can turn them into a dive slate, which then divers produce. So that's kind of the concept. Um, so yeah, we're looking to expand that out, um, in particular in 2021. Uh, we've got some some help from Magic in the Punjana, um, like COVID relief. That was really good. So it happened like literally about, um, about two weeks ago. We got good news there. Uh, we got lots of money from from the local people as well. Um, loads of Malaysians really really jumped on the bandwagon um, regarding plastic. There's lots of zero waste stores are helping us as well. So it's, it's great. It's a great feeling to show that people in, in the city are actually, to be honest with you, actually the main causes for the environmental problems is actually because of people in the city, even though you're so yeah. far away, right? But yes, yes. Yeah, no, when, when we do cleanups in Brandon, right? There's, there's, apart from big things like like getting washing machines off the islands and all this sort of stuff, there's not that much um, waste anymore. And it may sound really weird because most people say on the island, the biggest problem is waste, right? Um, so oh. there is like a waste system where we can put the waste onto a boat and it goes to the mainland. But what I mean, like sort of the waste on on the on the beaches, mm. it's not that bad when you go to the rivers in KL. Like, it, it seems quite bad at the time, but then when you go to the rivers in KL, it's like 15 times as worse. Like, now you see the difference. <laughs> yeah, it blows your mind. Like, wow, hey, it's like I could put my hand into the river in the Kaiwa Ara River. Every time I put my hand in, 
I would pick up a plastic bag or I'd pick up a sarong or I'd pick up a bunting. Yeah, there's all these big things. Is that huge? And then in, in like two hours with a group of like three to four of us, we can easily pick up a hundred kilos of waste. No, it, it doesn't take long to pick up a hundred kilos. Um, whereas you, you compare to like you clean up Brazil and Brentian, where the things were a lot smaller, a lot lighter. Things like cigarette butts, uh, in particular, plastic bottles. Um, these things generally weigh very little. So. You're picking up maybe like 20 kilos with a big group of everyone. Yeah, yeah, like true. A group of like 20 people, you know, picking up like 20 kilos of trash. Whereas we can, in like two hours, we can pick up 100, 150 kilos. I think our record was 148 kilos. Um, wow, like that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. And it's not all wet. Like, obviously, in the river, it's not. Some of it is wet, so that obviously adds to the weight. But then others is not. But like, this waste, though, is, is generally, it's put it's from the river. Um, it's been washed as well, so it's generally quite clean, um, unless it's been there for a long time, stuck there for a long time. Um, so you can actually take this waste. Some of the plastics we can take, um, so we can take like type one, type two, type four, and type five, and type six. Um, so if you see at the bottom of like a recycle of a plastic uh, yeah. bottle, you'll see there's like a recycling sign, a little number inside. Yeah, that's usually the type of plastic. Yeah. Mm. So we can take like some some things we can we can't but then things like buntings what do you do with a bunting i mean so um there's some companies like biggie biggie awesome social enterprise they are converting um all sorts of things into fashion items um also like hara makers you've got uh um um world warriors those people um sea monkeys doing the same thing where this upcycling of of kind of our waste is what we should do. It's called the circular economy, um, where you, you're basically the idea is that there is no waste, and the, the reason why there's no waste is because either you've reduced it right down as much as possible, and then whatever waste there is, you actually reuse it in another way. You put it back into the system. That's kind of like how how the earth works, right? So if you have the like, circle of life, right? <laughs> Um, so you know you got you got the lions on 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 the you know, you got, so you got the grass on on the Serengeti, then you've got the deers that eat the grass, then you've got the lions who then eat the deers, and then the lions die, and that becomes the fertilizer for the for the grass, right? So it's kind of that kind of uh, idea behind the circular economy. Um, so that's what we're trying to do as well, um, try and push on this kind of education, get people to be more aware, and to realize that waste is valuable. Right, and that's one reason why um, the company that, that we all basically follow is called Precious Plastic. That is precious. You know, yes, you... Um, Precious Plastic is actually a Swedish, is it? A Swedish no, 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 it's, it's from uh, the Netherlands. Denmark or Netherlands? Netherlands, sorry. yes. Yeah. So Precious Plastic is a Netherlands initiative from a guy and then basically they create the machine and then turn plastic into new life so what they did was they made the blueprint for the machine. Um, they made it free and online, open source. So it meant that instead of them kind of keeping the ideas and the concepts and then them kind of teaching people how to do it um, or like selling machines to other people, what they did was say, look, we'll actually make it open source. So then other people in other parts of the world can make their own machines and instead of paying like 20, 30,000 ringgit for a machine for posters and packaging and delivery and all this sort of problems, what you'll cause, why don't you make it locally? Um, so like there must be around about thousands of machines around the world now um, because of British plastics. Imagine that impact. That impact is huge. Um, yeah. that they never would have been able to do that by themselves. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's really cool. So that's how we want to kind of develop um, FE in the future would be at keeping Prehentian, um, but then also um, developing the precious plastic projects um, as well. We can start mm-hmm. upcycling, not just plastics, but upcycling everything as much as we yeah, can. I understand. Yeah, understand. So now I could understand you pretty well because like, I myself personally experienced um, the volunteering program also hands on 
go went to the beach and then do the cleanup. I haven't tried the river cleanup, but I can see a lot of rubbish in, like at the rivers near my house as well. And that's actually kind of like a cause to the waste in the rivers. Also, a cause of the flooding uh, uh, happened in recently. That's a very huge problem. But like for the the programs at these eco tiers are re- really amazing because like it's about experiential learning, and then I myself like can see how the ecosystem and also like the human behavior affecting the wildlife in on in Bhutan itself only. And then so it kind of relates to other wildlife in other regions of Malaysia. So like, and Danny, like you have been in the wildlife conservation for quite a long time, you know, and also you based in Malaysia quite a long time. You see, what are some of the of your observations, also like the challenges that you see in the wildlife conservation in Malaysia? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, wildlife conservation in Malaysia is is really. Um, it could be amazing. There are there are some really 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 good organisations out there um, that are doing really great work, and I think that we need to be everyone pulling in the same direction. Um, and and what I mean by this is when we get um, other organisations working together, we can create great things. Um, so, for instance, when we when we have um, Cooperative, supportive government staff, for instance, we, we can really, really make differences. It's really great. So, so what, one example is that um, I won't mention names, but there was a Marine Park official that I sent a phone call to. I sent a message yeah. to, and um, what it was, there was a blast reef. There was like a fish blast in a Tokon Lao in Brahintian, and um, this is the first time it's ever been heard of, pretty much there. So I, I messaged. One of the people in Brahintian messaged me, so I then messaged over to uh, this person in Marine Parks. They then contacted the police, and then the police, within half an hour, had actually got the uh, the fishermen who did the blast fishing. So, like, when you've got the system working well and it's smooth, it works really, really good. Um, and, and Malaysia's got the rule, got the laws there. It's just if people have the the will and the passion to do it. So it's it's I think that is one of the biggest issues I, I think that we find in Malaysia in particular okay. when we've got a passionate, really dedicated, amazing government staff, um, um, things could really move move really fast. Another really yeah. good example at the moment is is um, Bilitan as well. Bilitan is is been doing an amazing amazing things um, over the past two years uh, in particular um, since. Maria um, became uh, the head of Pilitan. Um, I'd like to say that they've, they've done a lot. They've been um, putting lots of people into the forest, um, searching for, for uh, poachers. And so when you've got that kind of that political will, um, things can really happen. Because now also the good thing about social media is that we're actually now starting to understand what government departments are doing as well because mm. before you don't when you don't hear things you assume things aren't happening right but it doesn't mean yeah. it's not happening so this is, sorry this is why you know like, i think we have to see and touch it and see it observed by ourselves and then, so that's yeah. why like, i really uh, i'm a fan of your volunteering program because i really see you know the real things and real um, negative impacts of uh, that created by human on the environment and also the wildlife, and this is how uh, create how we and I create uh, empathy on the wildlife, and so like yeah. want to do more for the conservation. Yeah, definitely. I mean that that is our main cause. So I'm really happy you said that because actually our our main um, our ethos behind FB is actually connecting people to nature. So once you've kind of you know, once you've seen it, once you've been there, you learn about it, then you fall in love with it, and then you're gonna care for it, right? Yeah. So yeah. we got to take everyone on that path. So I, I think things like particularly when I was a kid growing up, I watched so many documentaries. That was my learning part. Um, and then as I was like 15, 16, I used to go snorkeling a lot around the UK, and I used to see all these 
fish and seals. Um, and then I kind of been there and loved it. So that's why I love the environment because I've been there, seen it, I fall in love with yeah. it. So we need everyone to take that kind of journey. So we need more more documentaries to be shown on 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 Netflix. No, we need more. So Aaron Attenborough doing his recent one as well. That's fantastic. That yeah. connected people, made people like, wow, okay, actually we need to do something. So I think these documentaries is really important. Filming is really important. And um, yeah, I mean, connecting people to nature is what we want, whether it's local villages or whether it's people in the city. But we should always, always look at ourselves first um before you start picking on anyone else because it was very interesting i was talking to um carlos from sea monkey and he was saying to this he was talking to a, a fisherman a chinese fisherman and he was saying okay can you help us clean up the sea why are you doing this and then he said well once you guys have cleaned up your city all right then you come back to me and I, that that really really come true to me is like wow yeah you know like why should he be cleaning up the sea when actually it's the cities pumping all this plastic and rubbish into the, into the sea. Into the sea. What's the point <laughs> in cleaning up? So once you clean up the city, okay, then clean up the sea. So um, that's why we, we really need to be getting out there more and enjoying. I mean, Malaysia, actually, KL in particular, is actually quite a green city in terms of it's got a lot of wooded areas. You know, there's, mm, there's not, mm. you don't have to go far to get to some amazing, amazing places. But even if you go to like, um, what's it called? The place where uh, Genting Highlands, right? Yeah. Genting Highlands, Bukit Thingy, and all that. They actually have yeah. quite a lot of siamang. They have a lot of um, hey, primates in those areas, right? So it's it's, it's that's like a dream. It's actually, my favorite animal is not turtles. It's actually um, gibbons and siamang. Um, yeah. I, I just love watching them, you know, and. Uh, we have a lot of actually, not a lot of that, but we have, you can go and view them quite easily in Charity, Charity, in um, Enten Highlands and all the highlands there. Um, like I said, the Alam's got nice walks. You've got Kojinamasara Forest Park, um, even Bukinanas, right? It's got a little remnants of a forest there. So, um, Frim is an amazing, I take my kiss to Frim. Like, we have the opportunity to, to do that. So, we, we need to be thinking about our our impacts on on the world like becoming zero waste reducing your waste down when i'm in the rivers or wherever i am the majority of the rubbish i see is related to food mm, waste okay. food right it's either plastic bottles or it's like tapau boxes or plastic bags it's something related to food like always or cigarette butts um so it, it's it's relatively easy not relatively easy now but you know just bring along your your container um bring along a water bottle uh container as well you know all these little things i see they do add up because the amount of trash that we find is it's i'd say 80 percent of it is food related and uh, there, there is a big thing because malaysian food is so nice right <laughs> like, malaysian <laughs> food is amazing so um that makes it hard <laughs> so maybe we should make malaysian food a bit more bland like british food um <laughs> and then yeah. maybe it would be not too big a shoe but um yeah you know just say things like having a drink in a plastic bag and a straw and then a piece of plastic string holding it up I, mean, uh, <laughs> I know it's easier in terms of i know it's easier in terms of uh carrying it and and um well, it's not actually it's quite hard to carry actually <laughs> you can squeeze it right it comes out all the time but you know it's 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 those things like our lifestyle and it's people in the city that actually need to be connected if like when you look at the people like the fishermen, the fishermen know more about the fish than any scientist. They can tell you exactly where the fish are going to be at what time, how many. It's fantastic. It's it's great for them, but then they can go and fish them easily, and there'd be no fish there. Um, but the same with the fisheries guys. The the villagers in Prehentian, they know exactly when the turtles going to come up and come up and nest. Yeah, um, I was yeah. so fascinated by 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 the rangers, by Pogdin and all that. It's like yeah. all their knowledge on turtles. I asked them when when or where do you learn that? And then they was like, Oh no, I just know it. <laughs> I was yeah. like, when? Yeah. Also exactly. like Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean what what do scientists do? Actually, scientists is all about observing, right? The first yeah. part of, of science is of observation. This is like all Jane Goodall, you know. They've just observed the animals, the primates, right? So this is actually what the villagers have done. And it's actually time that um, 
us kind of city people, um, but not in flying commas, should really look up at people living in the environment, living in, in, in like in near the sea. Um, they should really admire them. Like the Rang Asli, the Rang Asli should be your forest consultant, not mm. your not someone you should look down on. You should give food to. Actually, the, the amount of knowledge they have about the forest is insane, and it, it's really really amazing what stuff they know that would be lost um very easily. So I mean, it's time for just because people that don't have money, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not intelligent. And just because they don't know about, uh, I don't know, shares or whatever, something on a, they know other things about other things. So it's a time where everyone should actually really respect. There should be no kind of hierarchy. Everyone's got their own kind of, um, their own knowledge, their own place in the world. And, you know, and everyone should respect that. And I mean, that'd be a great change if, if the economy become egalitarian. Um, yeah, yeah. Or hierarchical, you know, and then people realize that then, okay. They don't have a Ferrari, but, you know, like, like a lot of people in the city, they kind of aspire to um, have an amazing retirement where you can just be next to the lake and just you know, <laughs> sitting in your hammock, you know, and all that sort of thing. Where people in Brehenton do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you do it every day. Like, so um, they're, they're actually very lucky. They're... Being stuck in in the rat race of, of the city is actually not fulfilling to, to human beings anymore. I, I mean, it's not fulfilling to our souls or anything like that. I mean, that's something we should all be trying to do. Instead of aspiring to get money, we should aspire to be happy and content. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and then the world would be a lot better place. Yeah, that's a great lesson. I still remember the time when I was in Australia. The Aboriginal um, topic is very, very... Uh, critical and it's a very a very hot topic and we always discuss about um, how the capitalism um, system are ruining is ruining the aboriginal culture and also like because they always the capitalism system what they do is that they uh, have this idea about protected area so they create this protected area and then they say that oh no one should live in a protected area that's how I think that's happened in most of the countries eh, for the protected areas. So they asked the Aboriginal to move out from the area, the area that they live in for so long, and then they asked them to move out mm. and they ignore their knowledge and their intelligence on how they live with the nature for so long and they know how to live with them peacefully. While the people from the top, they just come in and then you know like, destroy everything because they are treating the nature with what you say, the hierarchical um, perspective. So they're not seeing the nature as then the, so they're as like the same level of uh, um, living, living being, living things. So it's like, like what you say is really kind of what relate to my, it's actually my research topic and also Oh, okay. um, my observation when I was in 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 Australia, so okay. yeah, it is time to you know look out for the indigenous and the uh, orang asli in Malaysia. Because yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be say orang asli, but it could be people living in the environment. So it could be yeah. like the villages, you know, in Britain or whatever. Um, you know, and it, I guess what happened then was, was the fires, right? Because the Aborigine used to burn the fire, used to burn their land every couple years right so the build up of dry material didn't really the biomass um didn't build up so you don't get these big fires and that's what happened wasn't it because they they had all these all these areas where they protected but they didn't actually um the big fires happen because all this biomass is built up over time and oh that's that the big issue wasn't it? Was it i had a conservation conversation with the WWF Hawksbeer project uh, manager and she told me that the people who destroy the forest is actually all the big companies, the corporates, like people who pump, plant the palm oil. The Aboriginal, the Orang Asli, they didn't, they do nothing to be honest because like the corporation can just cut off the trees 
in minutes, like millions of trees in maybe just in one hour, but the Aboriginal, they just cut one tree for their own mm. use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it all comes down to the economic system, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it all comes down to that, where it's the whole point of the actual economy at the moment is to grow and it's to grow with more, more consumption. Um, if it can grow in a way, okay, keep it, but it can grow. But when you start looking at, say, a triple bottom line, you're looking at your profit, your people, and your planet. Um, then there's values and other things. So this is where where kind of social enterprises, where we come around in a circle, where social enterprises do try to capture the the two other P's, not just profit, but they obviously try to help the people or the planet in some way as well. So. This is where I was saying I really love to see there to be a, a corporate social enterprise. You know, that, that there are a few. Um, the way that the big corporates are trying to get that way is obviously through CSR, right? Um, through CSR, and now they're trying to get to be sustainable. Um, so to reduce the impacts in terms of waste, become um, net zero in terms of carbon off, off uh, emissions and stuff. So it's it's going like backwards. It's like the, the big companies now are trying to reduce their impact whereas social enterprises are trying to probably actually generate more money <laughs> so they can actually do um more good you know so it's kind of everyone's kind of trying to meet in the middle right um yeah which should be great i mean i i, I really really i mean social enterprises actually you could say i first registered in the uk in 2005 mm -hmm. was actually a legal social enterprise so like social enterprises in the UK have been around since the 90s. Um, yeah. It's been a long time, maybe in the 80s. Um, yeah. And there's a legal it, entity for it. So. Is where you are registered under the KIC um, program? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Community Kik. interest um, company. Yeah, community yeah. interest company. Definitely. Yeah. That's where Magic's doing a great thing. I mean, Magic's doing a really good um in terms of generating people to start to think about social enterprises and training up young entrepreneurs but um they're starting to promote the current social enterprises as well they had a few um fairs this year uh like and we have social enterprise day you know so people starting to get to know social enterprises more um because there's, there's hundreds hundreds of them um and if you go to magic uh, i'm not sure Hundred and ninety-three. No, is it? I think okay. it's over two hundred already. Yeah, I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah, over two hundred. Yeah. So it's a it's a good phenomenon because we want to see more social enterprises in Malaysia doing creating more positive impact on the environment and so on the social side as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It I mean, is, yeah, it's so you imagine like any Christmas present you buy, any present for Chinese New Year or Hari Raya, whatever it may be. Um, try and buy it from a social enterprise. Go to um, pop-up markets where quite often they are local social uh, entrepreneurs. Sometimes they'd be social entrepreneurs, sometimes just entrepreneurs. Uh, but supporting like, the local people. Um, and really, as, as a general public, you have money power. Where you spend your money is where things that do better. So if if you spend your money on these smaller companies, they can then grow and they'll be so happy. I mean, when I get an order on, on Lazada or through my website, I'm always really happy. <laughs> like, wow, yeah, great. May only be 10 ringgit or 5 ringgit or whatever, but it's like, wow, yeah, someone's there. Um, we, we, we can do this, you know? Um, so it, it does it does help. But it's, I mean, it, it's, it is a life where, I'll be honest with you, it's tough in terms of financially because you don't have the security of a corporate work um, where you do these corporates where you know you've got this kind of career path already laid out in front of you um, you don't have that safety net and security there it's not for everybody I'd be honest um, and uh, for me personally I'm very 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 thankful for my wife particularly now um, where she is working for um, Sindabi. Mm. Um but she's working yeah, plantation, right? Um, yeah. But um, she, she's actually doing working in the biodiversity uh, 
production of palm oil. So she actually looked at um, how, in particular, well, she basically looks at the, the biodiversity of a plantation and how to increase the biodiversity. Uh, her main kind of subject for the last couple of years has been elephants. So how do we reduce the conflict of elephants between palm oil and uh, elephants eating the palm? So her actual research showed that actually the elephants only eat mainly, not 100%, but 95% of the time they only eat um, palm that is less than five years old. Um, so if you protect your young ones uh, with with um, with like a removable fence, um, then the issue of elephants shouldn't be such an issue. So then humans can live with elephants in palm oil plantations. That's a, a big thing. Um, so she's trying to do good things for, for the Sainabi. I mean, that's, that's another thing I, I would say to the general public as well. I mean, you don't have to be joining a social enterprise or an NGO or whatever to, to actually do a lot of good conservation work. We need conservationists and social entrepreneurs also in corporates. Um, because if you've got something like Sainabi, you've got lots of land. They they have a plan to plant like a million trees, you know, and they've I mean they've done nearly did it I think. Um, they have a lot of land, but they can plant trees. So these big corporates they have the opportunity as well to actually make a huge difference. And if you get yourself inside a, a palm oil plantation company or a construction company or whatever, you can actually make a big difference by trying to make them more sustainable. Um, by you know, reducing their wastes, um, reducing their impact on the environment by uh, sorry, uh, biodiversity, by helping them for any land they've got to help them to plant more native trees that are good for wildlife in those areas. So it, it's just everybody needs to come together <laughs> and, um, yeah, definitely. and do it. And, and there's several ways. I mean, let's say like working for a corporate CSR, sustainability departments, government as well. I, I do say to a lot of our team if you really want to make a big difference as well working for the government um it may you may have a couple of years of learning um, and, and learning the systems in place and all that but then once you get move up the ranks you can very easily make a big difference um and that's where it's a great thing with, with, with career and pelitans doing an amazing job um the staff in marine parks um they're doing a great job as well um, so yeah, it's, it's seeing conservationists, I mean, a, a, a great one, actually, Shah Redzer, right, at, um, Perak State, um, State Parks, he's actually a kind of an NGO guy, um, through WF and various, uh, M&S, different roles, and he's making a huge, huge difference now in, like, in Bloom and throughout Perak, um, so it just shows, again, once we've got conservation environmentally kind of focused people in positions of power then the world will change agree agree because we do need like different talents with the heart to uh, to serve the social and so the environment in different sectors in different departments as well that we can that's how we need to achieve sustainability and also the sustainable development goal that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think sustainability is not really, it should be, it's a journey, isn't it? Like, getting to this dream of being a 100% circular economy, I don't think it ever happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, like, no matter what you do, there's always an emission, like a gas going off, it's really hard to, to, um, to keep, right? So, it's always a journey. And I mean, that's something that people shouldn't be frightened of as well like admitting that they're not perfect um like me I, i'm not a vegan or anything like that um I, I i do eat meat but what i eat is um i try to eat meat that's from malaysia um mm. so the transportation is not much if it's like i am yeah. kampong is better than the factory ones um eating if you're going to eat beef they eat the beef from the kampong not from the factory so like it's it's everyone's got their own journey you know? and if everyone does a little bit more each day you know then it makes a big difference you know tiny steps
we can we can make that yeah, difference. Yeah, I mean, we need to get the corporates on corporates and the, and the government to make the big the big changes. Uh, a bit of both. We've all got again meet in the middle, like, top down, bottom up. Then, do you have any materials or any you know books or resources that think kind of but impactful for you to share with the audience and also to the young ones? Yeah, sure. Um, honestly, thank you first of all to me. It's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you and and hearing your your comments about your experience as well. So that's, that's really heartwarming for me. So. Thank you for that. Um, in terms of the listeners, um, I think it's really important for you guys to um, watch documentaries. Um, not the ones where you're watching on Facebook, where you're seeing like, oh, watch the tiger fight the lion. Who's going to win? <laughs> <laughs> not things like that. But, you know, you got documentaries like David Attenborough, you know, um, yes. very, very, very typical. Um, watch him get to know things and then get out there and then um, main sort of, materials i would say is actually google search for these things they go on to our website go on as many ngos not just us but you know many ngos in malaysia that can actually um do volunteerism and, and volunteering programs internships um so join them as well i mean and outside of malaysia you've got whole world as well so i think when you guys go on holiday is don't necessarily Yes, go for your, your kind of your normal holiday. And then also try to think once a year, go on a volunteerism holiday. Um, take your family, take your kids. A great way to bond as well with your kids. Um, so, yeah, just, just with us human beings now, we are very lazy. Uh, not many people read much anymore. Um, some people do, some people don't. So, yeah, so watch these documentaries um, and get involved in talking with people about it and... There's so many different social groups now um, via WhatsApp or via Facebook or Instagram or, you know, uh, you can find like-minded people. Um, so I, I think that would be the kind of materials that I say, obviously stay away from paper. <laughs> You're all kind of digital um, as well. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Fuse Eco Tears and their projects, check out the links in the podcast description.